Welcome to this week's play-by-play of the Hangtime Podcast. Damaris Lewis, Sports Illustrated model, is joining us here on the Hangtime Podcast. You, you're, you're a great personality. You can hear it in your voice. Would you date an NBA player? I'm open to anything, but it's... respect. Old school. February. Like, I listen to Sinatra in the morning. You need to accept that. <laughs> <laughs> so I hear you're single, then. <laughs> With your host. Seku Smith, Lang Whitaker, and Rick Fox. Our next guest should have been our first guest, Isaiah Thomas. How do you think you would play in today's NBA with the rules the way they are? Be honest. Uh, average. <laughs> we will win a lot. <laughs> and it's, it's our main man, Roderick Turner from the Los Angeles Times. Hey, too, can I say this first? <laughs> you know you when can. When I was covering the Lakers, when Rick Fox played, I had hair. They wore me out. Now it's time for the tip-off. Rick, I, I, I want to I wanna make sure we got that accurate. Brad Turner, our, our homeboy from the L.A. Times, says he had hair. He ain't never then. had I, hair. <laughs> <laughs> I never met him with hair. I know BT for like 20 years. I've never seen a strand of hair on the dude's hair. Exactly. I mean, I'm just throwing that out there. I mean, <laughs> no, he just, if, he, if I need to take if I need to take it for the team, all right, all right, you know. <laughs> I created the hair, the, the hair, the the loss of hair. I'll take it. Hey man, it's you got to do what you got to do. Welcome to the Hang Time Podcast. Seku Smith here at headquarters in Atlanta, Georgia. Lang Whitaker somewhere with his toes in the sand on vacation, but he called in doing it big for his boys. We appreciate it. I pulled a Rick Fox this week. <laughs> you go what you, you, you so long? <laughs> yeah, what you went to the Bahamas and stayed in some five star resort and got not uh, quite. Not quite, but I'm a, but I am near a beach. <laughs> Love and, it. You know, hey, listen, you can watch the NBA playoffs from anywhere, Lane. I have been. You know, that's the that's the beauty of the game. Now you can, you know, I have been. I've it, been doing the the TNT overtime chats during the game, and I keep resisting the urge to post a photo of like my view while I'm doing it. So yeah, well, listen, it's not like there's been any shortage of drama uh, in these playoffs, man. I. This Heat Pacers series, you know, obviously, congrats to the to the Spurs. Already made it through to the finals. A sweep of my Grizzlies. We'll get to that shortly. I know everybody's gonna ride ride the train to kick me off. Uh, you know about uh, my pick gone wrong. <laughs> but we got to give it up. We got to give it up to uh, the Spurs, baby. The, the the Rick Fox slash Get Off My Lawn All Stars showed yeah. some teeth. They're not they're not done yet. They are in full effect. What? What they happened? Are. What happened? I I didn't see this coming. It's not that they're not done yet. It's that they're dominant right yeah, now. Yeah, I mean, they rolled over the Grizzlies. Yeah. yeah. They didn't just beat yeah. them. I mean, they swept. I mean, put, them, put it on them. And, they were, and, you know, some of the games were tight until late, until winning time when, you know, two decades of experience kicked in. You know, and the Spurs make big plays and make crunch time plays. And the Grizzlies, they look rattled. I'm not going to lie. They look rattled from game one on to me. Yeah, I think they thought there would be there would be more of a of a presence uh, internal in in the paint for them. Mm-hmm. Zach just got off to such a slow start, man. In that yeah, series, man. he was just non-existent. And Tim Duncan, you know, really, man, let's call it what it is. I mean, Tim Duncan at the end of the day has not only been first team All NBA this year. Uh, that's surprising in itself. But just at 37 years old, man, he looks like a young Tim Duncan. Just yeah. the way he's Playing, playing at such a high level again, and that just look that changes the whole scope of the San Antonio Spurs because they would have never been able to survive a Manu Ginobili, right, uh, right. you know, poor game uh, in the past, like in the past three four years. You know, you, they needed Ginobili to play huge, and they needed Parker to play huge, and hope they got something from Tim. And now it's the flip. You know, and Tim is back to the Tim Duncan of Duncan, uh, yeah. of anchoring that team. You know what I really like about. The, the way the Spurs are playing, too, is the the unsung dudes on championship teams, the guys who don't get a whole lot of credit but but play solid from start to finish in a series. Like Danny Green has been really good just doing his role. Yeah. You know, Kawhi Leonard has been fantastic just playing his role. They're not trying to be heroes. I, I, and, I, and I like Jared Bayless, but I was very upset and frustrated that the Grizzlies would put games in the hands of guys who, you you know, if this dude doesn't win games for me throughout the course of the regular season, I don't want to put that pressure on him in the playoffs. Right. And I thought too many times late in these games, the ball was not in the right person's hands for the Grizzlies. 
I kind of felt like they didn't have a lot of other options, though. You know, like they, they, they were kind of just doing whatever they could do and hope for the best. But San Antonio just had too many, too many uh, questions that they couldn't answer, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. You know, I, um, I mean, I, I guess who, who would you rather go down to, like Zach and 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 Gasol? at the end of the game or I'd rather go to somebody other than Jerry Bayless is all I'm saying. And that's not a personal <laughs> knock on Jerry Bayless, but Rudy Gay don't start that one. Oh, but I mean, you know, I, I, I need the dude who, I mean, you don't go to the, the heat don't try and win games at the end with Udonis Haslam making or breaking the play. You know what I'm saying? It's gotta be, right. I need Mike Conley or, you know, Zebo right. or some, I need one of them with the ball in their hands at the end of games. There was two games now where Jared Bayless had to take the shot that either, you know, makes or breaks the Grizzlies that night. That's not that's not right. A couple of those games against the Clippers, they ended up with, with Gasol having to hit big jumpers down the stretch. Um, and he made them. But, right. uh, you know, I, I kind of felt like, to me, the, they, they don't have that. As, as good as they are and as versatile as they are and everything, they don't have that guy in that circumstance that you can say, give the ball, clear out, and he'll at least get a pretty good shot. I, Rick tweeted last night. This is a good tweet that the Grizzlies, or maybe it was, or maybe it was the Pacers. The best offense for the Pacers was just to throw up a shot and miss it and get an offensive rebound. Let and, Roy Hibbert get the rebound. Yeah, David West for, get the rebound. You for, mean? Yeah. In some way, in some way, the Grizzlies had had a similar problem on offense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, you, you can't you can't look away at Tony Parker's thirty seven points in a closeout game and right. say that he didn't actually. You know, out you know, outplay Mike Conley because Mike Mike at the end of the day was a difference, and I thought in that Clipper series where he right. just he really showed how much improvement he he'd made uh, in taking big shots, you know, orchestrating and controlling things, and uh, for that you know for that series. But I tell you, man, he just did not have the same series against Tony Parker, and and right. a lot of that has to do with you know Tony Parker just staying in front of him in general is a challenge for anyone. But when when that becomes Mike's sole focus, and he, he, get, he can get he's getting in foul trouble, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it took Mike out of his his ability to be effective offensively for them. Yeah, and they needed that from him, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I said, I'm gonna close the doors on my whole bragging rights playoff debacle. <laughs> Yet another one goes down in flames. My Grizzlies, they'll be back in some form next year. I'm not sure what because we don't know if Lionel Holland is gonna be coaching them. Um, He's you know, saying he wants to be back. I know, but what he wants and what the organization wants have to – it's got to come to uh, some point where they're both on the same page. And, I mean, what do, you, what do you do? I mean, in a coaching environment where you see these assistants, um, you know, are getting elevated to these head coaching positions in different areas. Um, right. You know, Steve Clifford in, in Charlotte taking over. Um, you know, Mike Budenholzer taking over here in Atlanta. Uh, got a chance to go out there today and and uh, sit through that press conference and listen to him talk and and then the Danny Ferry talk about you know these changes and these visions. But if you Gri- if you're the Grizzlies, how do you not keep I'll- Lionel Hollins? What'd you say, Rick? No, I said that either of them sound like uh, Greg Popovich. <laughs> <laughs> no, they they gave more than one word answers. So okay, they were That's very good. very unpop like in their in their reactions, but. How do you seriously? How do you not keep Lionel Hollins as the coach of the Grizzlies after what they did this year? Money. Yeah, that's I mean, seriously. I, I know, but money. I mean, what, but what, what if another? T- what if Brooklyn offers him double what what Memphis offers him? What if Memphis had already offered him something, so you didn't have to worry about it? Oh, yeah, but what, I mean, <laughs> you what, know what I mean, like, <laughs> come on, man. Well, they put themselves in this position, though. I mean, yeah. they, he's, you know, he's going to shop whatever offer he gets. Oh yeah, right? he has to. As he, he has should, to because they, you know, if the if the Memphis Grizzlies would have tied him up uh, at least for another two years or something, and uh, you know, given him a raise, because it's not like they were struggling. You know, they progressively grown to, uh, you know, to a place where you could tell they were, you know, contenders in the in the Western Conference now. Did they get them? Did they buy themselves some leverage with the exit here to the San Antonio Spurs? Yeah, but that's the wrong kind of leverage when right. you're talking about trying to win a championship. Right, right. I think Lionel's done a great job, even considering with that trade, you know, uprooting his team in the middle of the season there to try and still find ways to bring in the new pieces, get them acclimated to what they're doing, and, and still have an effective run into yeah. the you know to the Western Conference Finals. 
Hey, Seiko, if you're the Grizzlies, how do how do you make the team better next season? Yeah, and that, and that's a great question. Like to me, that's more, you know, Lionel Hollins to me is a is a baseline thing. Like he's if you don't have Lionel Hollins, you better find a coach that you think is of that same ilk, you know. Uh, but the roster, which it got exp- you know they got exposed. They don't they didn't have an elite score that they could go to outside, you know, and they struggled to score as it is. But right. they didn't have somebody on the wing that they could go to to offset what they were taking on, you know, um, from Duncan and Parker and those guys. I don't know, Lang. I, I, you know, I think it becomes a deal where they traded Rudy Gay, you know, and Greg mentioned it. They traded Rudy Gay to improve their team and to shore up some long-term financial issues, right? Mm-hmm. So what you gave away in Rudy, which is a guy who could get you 20 on a given night, basically, and everybody says, oh, anybody can do that. No, they can't. I mean, it, it sounds good, and 20 on a given night is great, but when you need 20 every night from a position, there are a handful of, you know, there are a few handfuls of guys in the league that can do that on a consistent basis. How do you go get that guy now if you've already made your one play with, with Rudy Gay as your trade chip? Well, you know, that, well, that guy is not going to fit into what they have right now. They have to change what they have right now because what yeah. they, what they so have they'll, works for – They'll have for, to give up something that they have now exactly. to get that guy. I mean, the question now becomes, you know, do you do you have Zebo and Zach – I mean, are Zebo and uh, Mark Gasol together or do you do you anchor with Mark Gasol and find a way to move Zebo? Uh, yeah. Which Zeebo. sounds crazy now after, you know, the, the work he did early in the playoffs. Yeah, but he got exposed. Ricky got exposed a little bit, in, in you know, against the Spurs. But he's also not cheap, too, though. I know. I mean, yeah. you got to look at Zebo and say he's, you know, do I want to pay Zebo thirteen million dollars, right? Or more like eighteen. Eighteen million. Whoa, eighteen million dollars. Yeah. I just, I just looked it up. He's seventeen point eight next year, and then sixteen point five player option the next year. Yeah, wow. I don't think he's going anywhere. Yeah, and and, it's, and the only reason being is in this market environment where. Free agents. I think he could move after next year, maybe as a cap number. Right. Yeah. Big free agent year will be coming up, but no, actually, no. The big free agent year is next year, so no one's going to take him on and clog up their opportunity to go after that big free. Right. uh, With having him on the books for eighteen million, um, you you would have to be, you'd have to be someone that's really on the cusp and has a couple pieces that you can young pieces that you can trade at like a Celtics or something, you know. Where yeah. you can bring in a guy for two years and keep that. Whoa, there you go. Maybe yeah. Zebo to the Celtics. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just saying it's a. They're in a strange position because you you get so excited about the season they had, and then when it, this happens all the time. Some team rolls early in the playoffs, and then when they hit that stone wall, you know, in, in fall, everybody goes, "Oh yeah." Well, they forget about all the good stuff and go, "Man, they got swept." So now, yeah, it reminds it reminds me a little bit of the Hawks a couple of years ago when. When you knew they they couldn't really do anything roster wise, and they let Mike Woodson go, and and that was going to be their change. Was, change, yeah. You know, Larry Drew came in and changed the offense, and that they were having trouble scoring. That was how they were going to uh, improve offensively was just changing their system, not changing their players. And I wonder if that's maybe what Memphis would would think about. I don't I don't think the sis change in the system works. I don't either, but I, I'm yeah, just saying. I think, I, I think you got to change. The dynamics on your roster, you know, and I, or you got to, or you got to get someone, you know, you got to get a veteran to come in there that that yeah. can't get the max, can't get paid big time right. anymore. Well, you but, know what you get, Rick. Pay. You go get a David West. You know, yeah. a couple years ago when the Pacers were trying to make that move without blowing, you know, busting their bank, they yeah. went and found a guy who was a culture changer, a locker room changer, but they yeah. didn't have to pay him max dollars. Right. You know. They had to match Roy Hibbert's offer, um, you know, last yeah. summer. It wasn't uh-huh. like they just went out and said, "Hey, Roy, we're going to give you the max." Right. So yeah, you got you have to go out and find a program changer, and and there's some out there, man. There's some eight, seven, yeah. eight, nine year old, nine year veterans yeah. that, that still have you know a lot, lot left in the tank that may have you know maybe you know a you know three out of five night guy instead of a four out of five night guy anymore, and and yet that's the right piece. Someone in the wing, someone that's uh, even though Poindexter played, you know, continually. Yeah, he played well, not, but I mean, it, he's off the bench guy. You know what's you know what's striking to me, Rick and Lang, watching these playoffs, 
and, and this happens every year when we get to the point where, you know, the, the series are, are so focused on two specific teams, you get to watch them night after night. Is how many guys are offensive liabilities to their teams in these series? Like, you know, until Udonis Haslam started hitting shots, man, he was he, he was starting, but it was like they were getting nothing out of him. Um, right. You know, the Grizzlies couldn't keep Tayshaun Prince and Tony Allen on the floor at the same time and score. Yeah. And I mean, you go series by series, and it's been somebody who's been just an absolute liability on the floor for their team in terms of making baskets. Like, you need a dude that can stand there and pop and make baskets. Well, even Battier has struggled. Battier struggled you know? with his shot. I mean, you know, and, and there are other facets of the game. I mean, they're bigger. it's bigger issues than just that, but there are a lot of ro- role players, guys who are specialists, that over the years you remember them just stepping up and knocking down big shots, and those guys have struggled mightily. Yeah, uh, throughout this postseason. Well, I think Indiana made made a couple. They've made a couple uh, adjustments too. Like in particular, last last night you got Hibbert on uh, on um, Haslam, right? And they put and they put. Sorry, as Pizza Hut commercial goes on in the background. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, they put Hibbert on uh, on Haslam with that length, uh, and they put you know um, with Doug on West on. Um, Mm-hmm. On Chris Bosh, who can who can mobily get out there on the perimeter and stay with him, and that was that was interesting to see because every time Hassam caught that ball, Roy would was a, still a good step away, but he put that long arm up, yeah. and, and you go, oh yeah, shoot over that Haslam. That's a that's a different look, and so you know, yeah. Roy, Roy's not maybe the most fleet of foot, but he knows how to play the game defensively. He knows how to make a presence and you know stay in front of a man and get a hand up. So. You know, you notice you got a little less Haslam uh, last night than you were getting before. So, you know that the game, the game previous was was impressive on his part because he showed up and played big. Yeah, I you know that that Pacers Heat series is really an interesting you know contrast in styles. You know because the Heat want to, you always say, well, the Heat want to get up and down the floor and spread you out and you know blah 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 blah. Uh, the Pacers have been been able to. Pushed them into playing their kind of series. They've yeah. made the Heat slow down and play much more half court, which the Heat are, are good. You know they can play any style. You know it's it's all about their preferred style. Um, but it's been it's been fun watching the chess match back and forth between Spolstra and Vogel and the adjustments they've made and then the adjustments the players have made. Indiana has done a really good job, man. They've done a they've done a really good job putting the Heat in an uncomfortable position. I hate to say it, but watching this Heat team for long stretches sometimes it reminds me of LeBron from six seven years ago when he was struggling to find some that second dude to help him tote the load. Because <laughs> Wade, uh, you, you seriously remember what, remember what uh, Steve yeah. Kerr said about Wade on the on the Hang Time podcast a couple weeks ago? He's he's yeah. not an every night superstar anymore. He's an every yeah. other night superstar. Yeah, and it's, that's the, I that's thought about what, that man watching him. That's the truth, and that's unfortunate for that's what happens to guys in the league. Yeah, They're no longer able to do it every night on a high, high, high level. You'll get you'll get a uh, explosive dunk here or there. Yeah, but more more times than not, it's about you know just showing up for the next game and getting in uniform <laughs> and, and and hopefully you have a number of those opportunities show up where you can be. The Dwayne Wade that people go, ooh, there it is, but then it disappears. And uh, yeah, I don't know if they beat, I don't know if they win a championship. I don't because you know that's the difference. They may be able to get by the pace. Did I just say that? They may be able to get by the pace <laughs> with the with Dwayne on one with one, uh, you know, one leg. But I don't know how they get past the Spurs with Dwayne on one leg. Yeah. And when did Bosch turn into a, a stretch five? <laughs> the Milwaukee series. I wrote about it. They, yeah. they, they love that. I mean, they love that that he does that for them against most teams. They just happen to be dealing with the one team that him being a stretch five does not help the cause. Because <laughs> Roy Hibbert's yeah. balling. Yeah, you know, Hibbert is balling. And David West gives them that flexibility too, because that, that whole stretch five concept where they had they were posting up. Uh, LeBron and then waiting for you know the double team to be able to move that around and stretch, right? Stretch, stretch Chris out there so you know Hibbert couldn't get to him. They're like, well, we'll just put David West on on Chris, <laughs> and it's like all of a sudden <laughs> you go, oh, 
So, he puts the pause on you, baby. I'm talking about yeah. David West plays with he plays with that, and I'm not saying he's Charles Oakley, but I'm saying he plays with that Anthony Mason, Charles Oakley thump. Like you know, when yeah. I put this bow in your chest, see here's the you thing: feel it, you know, because Haslam is not a stretch four. Right. Haslam's a 16, 15, 16 foot jump shooter. Yeah, right. Roy Hibbert can guard that. Because Haslam's not going to put the ball on the floor and blow, blow by Roy Hibbert. And so now you got David West and Tyler Hansborough, who are fours, who are physical enough to handle Chris Bosh. Yeah. And if Chris Bosh is going to hang out on the perimeter, they can move their feet with him too and get to him. They can dig down and sprint out and close out on, on Chris Bosh and make him put it on the floor. So you got a Chris Bosh who now, who, you know, who could be extremely effective opposite, you know, a Hibbert guarding him. Is now faced with the same scenario uh, he's normally faced with, which is a more mobile power forward sticking him. Yeah, yeah. I would like to see David West and Kendrick Perkins play charades. Because <laughs> I don't know that I've seen two more demonstrative guys <laughs> in the postseason. <laughs> whenever a foul gets called, whenever oh, anything man. happens, man, the two of them are just. They're worth your money to watch the game. How, how hilarious was West last night? Yeah, on that uh, I didn't touch ball. Yeah, I didn't touch it. I didn't touch it. I was I was just busting out laughing at his facial expressions. I was, too, I was yeah. like, man, this dude is a character. I, I got I got a good kick out of Hibbert in the interview at the end of the night. He was fine. Oh yeah, he's you know. I didn't know what to expect from the Pacers. Either. I'm gonna tell you the truth. I wasn't sure how they would respond after getting spanked the way they did in uh, in Game Three. I was like, yeah. I don't know if that's one of those deflating losses on your home floor that you can't recover from. But they've been so methodical throughout these playoffs. You know what I'm saying? They've been so resilient. Every time you think they're down, they they come fighting back. Um, I got to tell you, though, I, I, I picked them to win. I, I don't know if they can now watching them because mm-hmm. you cannot be as careless as they are with the ball. Right. Uh, and repeatedly, they fling that ball around in yeah. crucial moments in, in in the game, and it's a combination of you know en- entry passes at screwed up angles. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. Oh my gosh! I'm like you know George Hill, Lance Stevenson, like you know it, it's even even Paul George. It's like guys, come on! Do you understand the important when Miami ratchets up the defensive intensity? They're a turnover weight. They're a turnover like within a second and a half. It just, it just, they fling it all over the place, and and those are like possessions that you cannot give away. That's the difference in them being up three one in this series, and now we're fighting down two one to make it two two. And so maybe they'll take care of the ball better on the road when they go to Miami because that's maybe that sense of oh we're on the road we need to take care of the ball better here. But at home, they're just those two games at home. They were so careless. Oh. I think that's a that's a, a recurring trend for them this season. <laughs> I mean, they've been a brutal passing team in the post all season, especially yeah. interior passing. And there was one play last night where Hibbert posted up and they threw him an entry pass, and he dove head first after it, and it still <laughs> went out of bounds. Like it was, it wasn't even close to being a good pass to him. No. And, and and that's to me. Come on, man. That's the coaching. That's a responsibility on the coaches to get these guys to understand. You can't make entry passes to the post from the top of the key. Like right. it's just like that. And, and you know, and and and, and it's also just a, a sense of protecting the ball and the urgency out on the perimeter and in those double teams or or pick and roll situations where handoffs just are just they just are flipping and loose, man. Guys, you know, guys are getting he, – heat players are getting steals and taking it off down the court, and they didn't do anything. Let's just you tell know? the truth. Let's tell the truth. Lance Stevenson scares the hell out of us. Oh, Let's God. just say it. Good and bad. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. he can make plays that are so unbelievable. You're like, oh. You know, but, like, I, I find myself jumping, like, or fidgeting in my seat when he has the ball because, like, I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know what he's going to do. You know, I'm like, yeah. I'm waiting to see if he's going to – is he going to double pump a layup? You know, and, and and reverse it behind two, you know, behind two dudes' arms, you know, in at the rim, point, or is he gonna throw? Is he gonna throw a pass out of bounds into the stands, or is he? In gonna... Game three, he had it. He had LeBron guarding him on the wing, and he called for an ISO. He <laughs> yeah. waved everyone out of the way, and yeah. he took a step back air ball three pointer. Yeah, but then like you know, two last plays night, later, he, well, yeah, last he dumps night. on somebody or whatever. Well, like he has those games where you like you can't stop him. He hit that monster corner three last night over D Wade, yeah. and I was just okay. like, what? 
Look, I, I'm going to out myself because <laughs> I, at the stage that Lance Stevens is at right now in his career, I was a mirror image of him. <laughs> I was that guy. And like in Phil Jackson's book, he, you know, he talks about like they were yeah. they used to call him Rick plays. And when I was in, co- <laughs> when I was in college, when I was in college, Phil Jackson, I mean, I feel Dean Smith used to call it Rick world. Rick world. I, would do, I would do things Planet Rick. that were just unexplainable. Yeah. Uh, but it was that roller coaster of, you didn't know what you were going to get. You could get some highlight, Big shot, big yeah. dunk. You know, something would come out of nowhere, but it, you were always holding your breath. You didn't know if it was going to cost you the game. or. <laughs> and, and he is that guy. He is – because in his mind, when he's out on the floor, everything that he's doing, the intent is nothing but – Yes. I'm trying to I'm trying to win help win, help my, my team, team win this, this game. game yeah and yeah. we need we need something right now we need a big stop right. he'll stick his nose in and be physical defensively he'll you know he'll he'll drop his head and attack the rim and you don't know what's gonna come of it but it's that kind of like all out energy that that he has to play with or he's ineffective right and, and he guards he, yeah. it's not like he's just jacking shots now he 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 digs in on defense too, and I looked at a couple of the box scores because I, I was about to slam him, slam <laughs> slam not only him, the new but Dwight George, Howard to George Hill. I was about to get off my lawn. With them too. How many teams Ooh. around the league have that dude? Where they, you know, where they go, yo, you know, when such and such Josh when he's Smith. on. I know. I thought about Josh. I thought about all kinds of dude. I thought about all kinds of guys who their teammates talk about them in that kind of scared, <laughs> but but. They they really like are stunned at how talented a guy is, but they're frightened by what he might do in the course of a game. And Lance, Lance Stevenson is officially in that club now. Rick, when you would go into uh, Rick, when you would go into Rick World or or whatever Planet you call it, Planet Rick, baby, it's Planet Rick, yeah. whatever it was. <laughs> at the time, looking back on it now, at the time, was there some sort of like thought process in your head that you justified it by, or um, yeah, it's a borderline um conversation you have with yourself uh-huh. when you're coming up the floor. Yeah, no, you're coming up the floor and you're thinking, oh, man, I could take this guy. This guy's um, – there's an opening. And you, just, right. and you just react without thought or concern that there's a third – second and third and fourth layer to your – that have to be <laughs> processed. And so, and so whereas this, it's a fearlessness, it really is. It's a fearlessness that you kind of want. But it sounds also with very lack, like with the lack of skill behind it's, it. It yeah. also sounds a little narcissistic. It is. <laughs> it, is it is. It really is. And you yeah. can see it on his face too, though. Yeah. Like in yeah. his mind, in his mind, he is as good as LeBron. Yes. So yes. and so he needs. You need that. Yeah. It's it's un, it's the unhealthy narcissism that makes athletes great, great at times. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, in the case of like I was saying, that second, third, and fourth layer of hours of skill work and preparation. Yeah. <laughs> Although he's put in a ton of it to get to the level he's at now, it's not matching his confidence. I, lo- I his love re- – uh, I'm sorry, Rick. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to no, it's, it's not react, you know, matching the reaction level that he's reacting to these situations that he sees. He'll yeah. see a hole and he'll react. He'll I- see a, a potential steal and he'll go after it, not thinking <laughs> that if he doesn't get it, it's going to compromise. Seven <laughs> other things, team. yeah. I love the look on his face when something crazy doesn't work out. And he starts rubbing his dome like, I can't believe this didn't yeah. – like, I can't believe that didn't turn out right. And I'm looking at it going, I can't believe this this dude tried that. I mean, it's, just, it's a disconnect between reality and this fantasy world that, he, you know, that, that a guy like that has to play in at this stage of his career. That I'm serious. It is fascinating to watch. Fascinating because I'm, yeah, you know, I can't so, believe I watch these games. And I'm like, lie. man, where's Lance Stevenson? Like, let me find Lance Stevenson on the floor and see what he might because <laughs> it's interesting, right? It's like a train wreck, yes. No, it's a train. Wreck. We all stop to watch it, it's yeah. reality TV. Oh. We, we don't know the answer. Whereas a lot of a lot of players are predictable, we know they're going to run down, post up on the block, and then mm-hmm. they're going to get the ball. And we can almost tell you what move they're going to make. That's boring, right? right? It's it's impressive because they have control of their game, but Lance is interesting to watch because we don't know what we're going to get. And I have no judgment of it. I can I can have an opinion of it because I recognize it. I, I just know that as he continues to move forward in his career, if he starts to get a sense of enough of those situations where he goes, oh, yeah, that's not a good 
wait, you know, it's not a good time for me to do this or that. Then he'll start to hone that in and reel that in and, and become more of a controlled player. But he's athletically explosive. He's he's fearless. I like that about him. Uh, you just hope he doesn't cost you your job if you're a coach. <laughs> how, did, how did you figure it out, Rick? Um, oh, I got yelled at enough times. <laughs> uh, I got, I got really, I got, I had Chris Ford who, who basically embarrassed me enough times in front of 20,000 people in arenas that I, and, and I realized that if I turned the ball over in, in key crucial positions, I was going to be on the bench. And so it became a, it became a, okay, I want to be on the floor. So, you know, I can't make too many of these, you know, turnovers. I can't make too many of these plays where I get pulled out the game. Right now, you know, quite honestly, I think Frank Vogel, you know, he needs Lance's defense. He would do away with a little less of his offensive, you know, attempts. Freelance. Yeah, it's freelance. Yeah, because there's sometimes where he just flat out when he, yeah. he he starts like waving people out of the way. I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, like this is not a time to, to try and think <laughs> you can take over the game. And, and 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 the best and worst thing that happened was that New York Nick game to him where he went off big time yes. because now that was just validation that you know there was another game in his in his bag somewhere that was going to match that. And there may be that's the, that's the beauty of Lance Stevens. There may be a game in this heat series in game six or seven where Lance Stevens goes off. <laughs> and you're right. like, there it is. I cannot believe we have spent this much time talking about this dude. Cause I mean, all this other stuff that's going on, but seriously, he's the, he's now become one of the guys you cannot take your eyes off in this series. That's right. I mean, he's in, he's, he's, he's made himself a crucial piece of this series, which that's what you want to do. If you're Indiana, you got a young team that's trying to establish themselves. Guys like that have to step up and play big minutes for. Him. I thought Hansbro has played really well in this series. He's been a good agitator. Um, he's been active. You know, he's he's used his brute force to you know make plays and get in the middle of stuff. The, the Heat have all they can handle right now um, in the in the Pacers. They had a nice feisty test from an undermanned Bulls team that just was not healthy enough to give them what the Pacers are giving them right now on a nightly basis. And I'm talking about just that the way the Pacers control the pace of the game, like the way they grind possessions down into the shot clock right. and get what they want. I've been amazed. And John Schumann, our colleague at NBA.com, you know, did something about this um, on the Hangtime blog today. Um, just amazed at how both teams have been able to get what they want offensively. You know, I mean, that that that's hard to do in the playoffs when you know defenses are locked down and are not trying to give you sweet spots anywhere on the floor. For both these teams to score the way they have is pretty pretty remarkable. Guys, I'm I'm not the only person around here uh, struggling <laughs> right now uh, in the aftermath of my hang time Grizzlies pick going up in flames. Rick, I know you're loving every drop of that. Uh, <laughs> but Wayne Drash of CNN has a, a fantastic book out uh, on these courts, and it documents Penny Hardaway, and his return to his hometown of Memphis and all the work he's doing at the grassroots level, um, you know, with basketball and mentoring and everything else. Um, book came out Tuesday on Simon & Schuster. And uh, fantastic work. Wayne, thanks for joining us, man. I appreciate you coming on. And I know it's a tough time. I know I know Memphis is, is down in the dumps right now. Give, give us an idea of what the city's like now after being so excited about getting to the you know, West Conference Finals and then seeing it go up in smoke in a sweep. Hey, if uh, if Memphis and uh, growing up there has taught me anything, it's that our basketball comes with dramatic highs and dramatic lows. <laughs> I mean, you can go back to when Villanova knocked Keith Lee out of the Final Four to missing a couple free throws of having a national title uh. wrapped up to most recently Monday night, the Grizzlies just rolling up and dying. <laughs> They, they, there's a reason why blues are played in Memphis. <laughs> Wayne, Wayne Lang Whitaker here. Talk a little bit about from a bigger picture. What does basketball mean to Memphis? Basketball is, you know, a 
a lot of people outside of the city don't really know it or don't really comprehend it. Uh, they think of uh, the South as a as a hotbed for football, which it is. But there in Memphis, it's a weird, you know, bastion of basketball is the city, and it and it, it's it's one of the things that has united us. Uh, by race, uh, you know, one of the few things that is, you know, unites the city across uh, racial mm. uh, boundaries, you know, from the time Larry Finch, who went on to become uh, uh, the first African-American head coach and the winningest head coach in Memphis State history, he took us to the national title game in 1973 and w- when we lost to Bill Walton. To, to those 1980 teams uh, that, that that were fantastic, to more recently the Calipari era, and and uh, now the Grizzlies. Uh, I I think what the the Grizzlies have done is uh, with the one and done of college basketball, the Grizzlies have kind of helped fill that void where you, where you can fall in love uh, with the players for a much longer time instead of having them for a year and then they're, they're gone. But uh, basketball, it just, it, it just means everything uh, to, to the city. Well, in specific, uh, Wayne, what, what is, what is Penny Hardaway as a, as a kid from, from the area? What is he meant uh, to the city? Well, on a national stage, people don't quite understand how beloved he is in the city. On the national stage, Penny is seen as this wonder and who has always conjured up uh, these images among basketball enthusiasts as here was one of the great players of the 1990s who was at the peak of his game and then just kind of crashed and fell off the basketball map, uh, per se. But in Memphis, he is uh, our beloved son. He's, he, you know, uh, especially black Memphis. But I mean, it's, it's just you know, across no matter uh, what uh, your 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 race. Uh, a lot of people put him on uh, the same pedestal as Elvis. Uh, that he he is that he is oh. that revered, and uh, you know he and uh, Elliot Perry and Peyton Manning and a handful of others have become minority owners of uh, the Grizzlies to make sure that they don't leave town. Wayne, I, having some experience in Memphis, having relatives that lived there, um, and I remember when I was a kid, we'd come to visit, and I didn't understand why Memphis Tigers basketball was so big. You know, I was like, like I was a teenager, and I was just like, wow, they take this Memphis thing seriously. Like, they they really believe in this. Like, I had an uncle who had season tickets, and I'm telling you, I don't know, I don't know if he left his neighborhood at any other point than to go to work and to Tigers basketball games. What is that? What is that like in a in a city that isn't on the national map, like you said, for a lot of other things? For that to be the underlying vibe for people in that city because does it make it hard for a team like the Grizzlies to come in there and really get a, a foothold in the community seems like it's taken them a while yeah, yeah I, I think it, I think it did take a while you know people were skeptical uh, coming in because uh, uh, the Tigers are so beloved mm-hmm. but Hey, winning helps everything, <laughs> and, and, and certainly, certainly uh, the, the Grizzlies' uh, winning streak of late has helped uh, unite. And 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 beyond that, I, I do think there is something with the college players leaving so quickly mm-hmm. that when you have a professional team like the Grizzlies there, you, you're, you're just able to follow them a, a lot more and, you know, follow the highs and lows of, of a season as well as uh, the players for a longer extended period of time. But, uh, but Memphis state basketball, I mean, I mean, you know, people really can't comprehend it. I, I have, I have, I, I did not go to the school. I, I, I have no connection to the school uh, until writing this book uh, with Penny. Mm-hmm. But hey, I, I dye my hair blue. I go to the games, <laughs> and, and I'll, I'll be at the games, and I'll have my face painted, my hair blue. Or, you know, I've, I've got a, I, I've got an afro that I wear sometimes, and, and I'll be talking to to other fans, and they'll be they'll ask me uh, what year I graduated, and I'll be like, oh man, I, I didn't even go to Memphis State. <laughs> <laughs> is is there a you know, and you wonder, is, is there a labor of love in this uh, for you having the connections you do to the city? Because, I mean, you see a lot of these stories of guys going back and giving back to their communities. Did you trace that in yourself as well as Penny as you went through the process, just understanding 
what that connection is between a guy and his hometown. When you when you get older and appreciate it with all its warts for you know. I, I, I absolutely, and and, uh, and you know along those lines, I I, I think. Uh, most people, most authors would have a hard time quite understanding that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this, you know, I, I, when I, I, I kept it secret among uh, my family I, that I was working on this, and uh, we, when I told my mom about two months into to the project, uh, to the book, uh, uh, she couldn't believe it. Uh, she was like, I, you know, this, this must be a dream dream come true uh, right. for you. And I was like, Mom, I've, I've met all my childhood heroes. I've met Andre Turner, I've, <laughs> you know, uh, just all these great guys. And, and that is... You know, part of it is a labor yeah. of love, and, and in fact, uh, Penny and I have a, a weird connection to the past. Uh, when we were 15 years old, we both went to Eddie Sutton basketball camp in in uh, Lexington, wow. and we played on uh, the same team for that week at camp. And and and, and I have always remembered that, and uh, have told family and friends that that happened in just thought it was a rare experience and I but I thought it was one of a million different basketball camps that he must have gone to <laughs> in his life which it was however it was the first camp that he went wow. to which I learned from this and so I I did sort of we were sophomores going into our sophomore year mm-hmm. he was 61 at the time maybe 62 and so uh, I'm about six feet tall, and mm-hmm. I was that size then. And I had always told friends and family that uh, Penny grew like a kutsu vine after that <laughs> camp because my brother called the next year. He, he went to school in Memphis, and he said, there's this guy who's six foot seven at Treadwell <laughs> dunking off the chain. And I was like, yeah, we're not talking about the same Anthony. <laughs> Anthony, I know – he played with me last year, and he was six foot one. Right. And, uh, so, uh, so it's just a wild. It's just wild how life kind of can come full circle, and sure. and uh, y- y'all y'all know it too. P- Penny does not let many people in his life, uh, le- let alone a journalist. Uh, right. he, he he admits that he, he never uh, really liked talking to, to journalists, and so it, it's been a it, it's been a wild experience, and it, it's amazing what he's doing uh, for for these. Uh, you know, youth of uh, at-risk youth in Memphis. Yeah. So what? So what you're saying, Wayne? Basically, the lesson is, as a sophomore, don't start drinking coffee and smoking cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> <was just> exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. So you, speaking to the youth at that age now, uh, basketball, you can compare it to when you were that age and and growing up there. What is uh, what is a game for a young player? That's uh, you know with the AAU experiences uh, in Memphis right now. Someone that's aspiring to be at the next Penny Hardaway. Yeah, they, they, that's that's a fascinating thing going on, and and Penny, I think his ultimate goal, he, he his his ultimate goal is to get these guys to to college. Not not necessarily as uh, ball players. Some of them will be Division One players, but he, he wants to get all all of uh, the guys that he's working with to college to get them college degrees but i think secretly his hope is that he will bring a uh, in about five years he will help bring a national title to, to the university of memphis mm-hmm. he won't say that openly but i think uh, all of us are kind of secretly uh, rooting for that i, I just uh I, I love the i love everything about it wayne i love the book and uh you wayne know. what's the what's the best barbecue in memphis <laughs> You know the the best barbecue in Memphis. I, I personally like uh, Central Barbecue. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you get you got Neely's. That's great too. You got the the classic Rendezvous. Right. And uh, they, then there's this old this old place uh, that I don't even know the name of it across the bridge in West Memphis that looks like uh, you would die if you ever ate anything out of there. But uh, from a barbecue joint stem standpoint, that one's my favorite. That's kind of what you want in a barbecue joint. Exactly. Yeah, you want to walk out with your life and hanging in the balance, basically. Exactly. <laughs> On These Courts is the, the book by Wayne Drash of CNN uh, documenting former NBA All-Star Penny Hardaway's you know, return to his hometown to work with these at-risk youth. This is a, a fantastic read. You can see an excerpt of it on CNN.com. And, uh, Wayne, I, I, you know, I, the guys do these sorts of things all the time. You know, they go back and try and give back. It's very hard to do it without the hoopla and fanfare. I think what Penny's done is pretty special because this is the first I've heard of it. 
You know, yeah. th- this book is the first national attention I've seen on this program, which has to be some some serious heavy lifting for Penny and the other people that are involved. Yeah, it's it's quite it's quite amazing. So he 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 went back because uh, a, a friend of his uh, from youth was the middle school coach in the neighborhood uh, where Penny grew up, uh, which is called Beanhampton. It's one of the roughest neighborhoods in Memphis. Penny goes back to help him because he uh, was diagnosed uh, with colon cancer. Mm-hmm. His name's uh, Desmond Merriweather. He's still battling battling uh, cancer, and he asked Penny to come over for a day mm-hmm. uh, to help them shoot against zone defenses. You know, Penny comes over, <laughs> falls in love with the team, right. and Desmond ultimately asks him, "Hey, you know, these chemo treatments are wearing me out. I, I can't do it full time anymore." And mm-hmm. so Penny steps in. Uh, starts coaching uh, middle school boys full time. It, it makes no sense. So here's a guy that's made over two hundred million dollars. Doesn't wow. have to do anything in his life. He, he should have Tyra Banks and Lil Penny waxing his Bentleys <laughs> with hundred dollar bills out there. And, and yet he he starts coming in, coaching these kids. Yeah. Uh, the neighborhood gang strike up a truce, uh, uh, not to prey on them. Now right. that Penny is back. And ultimately, they go on and win uh, the state title in dramatic fashion. Uh, they were down by about 15 points uh, with three minutes left. Uh, Penny called a timeout, uh, just asked them to give him all, all that they had. He, he wasn't even thinking about winning. He was right. just mostly telling them just so they could uh, leave out with their heads uh, intact. And uh, the team caught fire in that final three minutes and pulled it out. And uh, won by a single point, uh, which, you know, since that's the number uh, that Penny is defined by, is just some beautiful poetry there. But but then uh, with the season ended, he realized that with summer's coming on, that uh, the potential for these kids to fall into gangs is tremendous. And so he formed uh, what's called uh, the Team Penny AAU Club. Mm-hmm. And Team Penny ranges from grade school up into the high school years. He's coaching two of the teams personally. And he did that basically to keep them busy through, throughout the summer. They, these are kids with facing impossible circumstances. Many of them, uh, uh, nine of the 12, didn't have fathers in their lives. Uh, most uh, were in, incarcerated for various things. Uh, some don't even have mothers in their lives or being raised by grandmothers and aunties. All of them impoverished. They, they couldn't even they couldn't even afford shoes before he came in. He, he outfitted them uh, with his one cent uniform. Hmm. He, he would buy them LeBrons. He would buy them Kobe's, Chris Bosch's. He'd walk in holding boxes before every game. Every game he would have a new pair of shoes for him. Hmm. One one game uh, they were wearing LeBrons for the first half, and for a surprise, he he uh, had his foam posits for the second half, and the whole place fell out uh, when they busted out uh, the, the foams. Right. And yeah, but beyond that, he says uh, the thing that he learned most that these kids more than money needed his time, and 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 uh, that's what he's doing. If you, if you think about that, if if y'all ever played AAU ball, it's just a time commitment as a yeah. player let alone a coach, and he's he's coaching two teams now. Uh, the 15-year-old team is ranked second second in the nation. And, you know, this is a guy that really doesn't have to do anything. He's coaching four, basically four or five hours a day, <laughs> Monday through Thursday, and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday. They typically play 11, 12 games in a weekend. Wow. And he's put up, you know, he, he probably doesn't want me to mention how much money he spent on them, but it is, it's well well into the six figures yeah. uh, how much uh, he spent just out of his personal money uh, to, to help these kids have a better life. To He, he, he pays for when, when they travel uh, for AAU. They, uh, you know, he's paying for the hotel, plane, plane ticket, all their food, everything. Wow. It's, it's, it's an amazing, it's an amazing thing. And you do not want to play Team Penny. His 15-year-old <laughs> team, they have, I think it's three six-eighters oh, on wow. the team. And uh, the two two starting guards are, are, are about six one, six two apiece. And uh, they will annihilate you. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, he's like Tarkanian. <laughs> it, 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 it might be 60 to 6 in a game, and he's still pressing. Uh, oh, wow. Well, I'll tell you this. Uh, this book is a must-read on these courts. Uh, 
Wayne Drash of CNN joining us here on the Hangtime Podcast. Uh, Penny Hardaway story. Uh, listen, when the movie starts, you know, whenever they start talking about the movie, I'll play the guy, the extra who walks into the, you know, the lousy barbecue joint and stumbles out <laughs> yep. talking about the team. How about that? There you go. Uh, you know, there you I, go. I would like to take it one step further. <laughs> uh, can I option this book? Right now? <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're, we're trying. I, I'll take it. <laughs> I, I'm 100% serious about that. Yeah, this is this is movie yeah, material. So, it, it really, so, it's got to be. I, I I agree. There are there are discussions going on, but uh, until then, I gotta keep uh, working my day job. <laughs> I heard that. CNN's Wayne Drash hanging out with us on the Hang Time Podcast with a fantastic story about Penny Hardaway. The book on these courts is available now. Uh, Simon and Schuster, and I'm sure Wayne, the, we're gonna make sure this excerpt gets out so people can read some of this because it's just fantastic stuff. Okay. Thank you, I bud. Appreciate we appreciate you coming okay. on. Thank you. It's a great story, guys. It's a great, I mean, you know, just fantastic stuff. Fantastic stuff. I, I, I don't even know, you know, you think about all these, these former players who are doing different things, and uh, this is another one where, you know, the attention isn't shining on it like it probably should, um, but it takes a lot of time, energy, and effort to, to dig into your own pocket and uh, take away from your own family's time to do the things that Penny's doing in Memphis. Yeah. you got to applaud him for that. Exactly. Agreed. All right. Once again, we got to thank our guest this week on the Hangtime Podcast, CNN's Wayne Drash, the author of On These Courts, a fantastic book about Penny Hardaway's return to his hometown of Memphis and all the work he's doing there with at-risk youth. Lang Whitaker, listen, the next time I see you, we better be near a beach with Cafe Con Leche steamed somewhere. No, like Indiana on- is not near a beach, man. What are you talking about? <laughs> Greg, Greg has got the Pacers winning this thing. Like he's he's trying to rain so on our Rick. on our Miami, you know, our Miami plants. So does Rick. I, I know. What's up with that? I have already reached out to a friend of the podcast to see if uh, she will be available <laughs> from Miami to maybe give us a little tour. Live from Miami, the Hang Time Podcast. So, uh, or from yeah. or from Indy. I'm not hating from on Indy. I, I lived you, there before. You've got Indiana connections. Yes, so. I, I did. I did. I did some time in that fabulous city, and I loved Woo. it. And uh, be glad to go back there again. I mean, it'll be interesting. If they win it, you talk about a story. Totally. You know, a, a complete, you know, rise from the ashes for that franchise after the things that went down, you know, uh, the past seven, eight, you know, almost what, nine, nine, almost ten years now. That'll yeah. be some solid riding for you guys. That'll be some do. quality stuff to chase down if we uh, if we end up there. We do know that. The San Antonio Spurs will be a part of whatever goes on in the finals. So congrats to them as well. And uh, we appreciate you joining us. We will get off on a tangent right here again next week on the Hangtime Podcast. Later. Thanks for listening to the Hangtime Podcast. To download more episodes of the show, visit the iTunes Music Store. And be sure to check out the Hangtime blog on NBA.com. And as always, say kuna matata. 